Hello everyone, my name is Meredith, part of, I'm part of the church family here and today I'm reading 1 Corinthians chapter 7, page 809 in the church Bibles. I'm reading down to verse 35. Now for the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body but yields it to his wife. Do not deprive each other except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession, not as a command. I wish that all of you were as I am, but each of you has your own gift from what, from God. One has this gift, another has that. Now to the unmarried and the widows, I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. To the married, I give this command, not I, but the Lord. A wife must not separate from her husband, but if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and a husband must not divorce his wife. To the rest, I say this, I, not the Lord. If any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife, and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbeliever leaves, let it be so. The brother or the sister is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. How do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God has called them. This is the rule I lay down in all the churches. Was a man already circumcised when he was called? He should not become uncircumcised. Was a man uncircumcised when he was called? He should not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's commands is what counts. Each person should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you, although if you can gain your freedom, do so. For the one who was a slave when called to faith in the Lord is the Lord's freed person. Similarly, the one who was free when called is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of human beings. Brothers and sisters, each person as responsible to God should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. Now about virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Because of the present crisis, I think that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you pledged to a woman? Do not seek to be released. Are you free from such a commitment? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. 
And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you this. What I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they do not. Those who mourn, as if they did not. Those who are happy, as if they were not. Those who buy something, as if it were not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of the world, as if not engrossed in them. For this world, in its present form, is passing away. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. If you're married, imagine today here in the coffee line, perhaps, that um, after church, someone comes up to you and says, you know, comes up to you, to your husband or your wife, and, and they speak to them in the coffee line. And, and so later, your husband or your wife comes to you and says, hey, I was chatting to someone in the coffee line, and I reckon we should stop having sex. Or imagine you're engaged or um, going out with someone, and again, in the coffee line, someone comes up to you and says, hey, have you, you really shouldn't uh, be looking towards marriage. Uh, you really should split up and stay single. Or if you do get married you really should consider having a sexless marriage. Now imagine if that was your fiancé, how would you feel if that happened? Now, it's incredibly unlikely. I think it's okay. You can still have coffee today. You probably don't have to just stick with tea or anything like that. I've never heard anybody say anything like that in any church I've ever been a part of. But it seems that that's what was happening in the church in Corinth. Some of the people in the church, they were saying that if you wanted to be really spiritual... If you were serious about being spiritual, then you had to give up having sex. And so if you were single, well, you shouldn't get married. And if you were married even, you should stop having sex. Now, I think it's pretty hard for us to get our heads around what was going on in their heads because in our culture, we just don't think anything like that. Our culture, in our Western culture, we almost worship sex and... In some ways, that, that even transforms into the church here, where we can even make sex an idol as well. So it's pretty hard for us to get our head around it. Now, some parts of their culture back then were like us as well. They even worshipped sex literally in some ways, in that sex was caught up with idolatry, with prostitutes in the temple and stuff like that. So there was that element to their culture. But they had a part in their culture that we just don't share at least in Western culture. Some of them thought if you wanted to be really serious about being spiritual, then you'd do that by asceticism, by depriving yourself of of things like sex and certain kinds of foods, and that by doing that, you could achieve a higher level of spiritual significance. That's what some in their culture believed, and that kind of thinking had come into the Corinthian church. Now you see this in verse 1. They've sent a letter to Paul where they've written, this is what they've written, it's good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. So this chapter, Meredith just read most of it 
for us. This chapter is Paul responding to that statement and to the thinking that lies behind it. He's responding to the idea that there are extra, more serious, earthly ways of making yourself more spiritual. Now, as you probably noticed, this chapter is huge, it's long and it's complicated and it touches on some of the most sensitive topics that you can imagine, right? There's singleness in there, there's sexual immorality, there's sexless marriages, there's divorce, there's being married to someone who's not a believer, who doesn't share your beliefs. These are all topics that are really close to our hearts and that are actually very painful for many of us. And they need a lot of time for us to deal with them properly. But the reality is today that we don't actually have the time that we need to really delve into them. And I'm sorry if this opens up uh, pain for you in some of these topic areas. Uh, it's, it's a real shame in, in many ways that we, we can't just unpack each one and, and give it the time and attention that it deserves. But we're going to have to keep going fairly quickly. And it's almost inevitable that we're going to touch on some stuff and just not be able to give it the care that it really does deserve. But one thing that we can't afford to do today is to miss the principle in this chapter that Paul's giving us here. Because it actually helps to make sense of the rest. And, And it is confusing, it's hard to see. But this is the principle that Paul is giving in this chapter that we can't miss. He's saying, don't Overinvest in changing your life situation by overinvesting significance in your life situation. Instead, find your significance in God and so invest in obeying God's commands. Now, that's what we're going to keep seeing over this chapter today that principle at work. And so, what this means, first of all, because of that principle, what we'll see is you can serve God in whatever life situation you're in but if you want there are some life situations that you can freely change we're also going to see it means if you're married this principle means stay married unless it's out of your control and then finally we'll see this principle means if you're single stay single unless you're not coped uh, you're not gifted with coping with singleness now behind all these things that we're going to see is that same principle at work. So let's have a look at this first point. You can serve God in whatever life situation you're in, but if you want, there are some life situations that you can freely change. So look at verse 17, where we see this principle. Paul says, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God has called them. Look at verse 20, each person should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. Verse 24, each person as responsible to God should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. It's extremely clear, isn't it? You can serve God in whatever life situation you're in, so don't think you have to change it because God doesn't think that's the case. Now remember, this is is a chapter that's primarily responding to a question about marriage and singleness. But look at the examples that Paul gives to illustrate this principle. Look at verse 18. This is the example he gives. Was a man already circumcised when he was called? He should not become uncircumcised. Was a man uncircumcised when he was called? He should not be circumcised. And then look at the next example, verse 21. 
Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you. It's a bit confusing, don't you reckon, as to what circumcision and and slavery have really got to do with anything. What we're seeing here is that Paul's not just addressing the issue of married people not having sex for spiritual reasons. This is Paul addressing the thinking that lies behind it. So circumcision, it was a, a religious kind of thing. Some would argue that it was a way that you could show in your body that you were serious spiritually. I mean, let's be honest. What's more hardcore, getting John 3.16 tattooed on your hand or getting circumcised? Tattoo's nothing compared to that. If you really wanted to be super spiritual, can you get much more hardcore than this? But then again, maybe you could make an argument for reversing circumcision as a way of being even more spiritually hardcore. You know, you're shunning mistaken trust in a religious symbol in your body. What's more spiritual than, you know, spiritually hardcore than getting circumcised? Well, getting circumcised and then reversing it. So there was a thinking like that as well. But Paul says, either way, that's over-investing time and significance and medical bills for something that actually is irrelevant in the eyes of God. Look at verse 19. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's commands is what counts. Where should your time and energy go? Where should you invest? What should you treat as significant? Well, again, it's so clear, isn't it? Keeping God's commands. So the principle is, remain in your life situation. Don't overinvest time and, and significant, significance in changing it. But if that's the case, why then does Paul say in verse 21, don't let it trouble you that you're a slave, although if you can gain your freedom, do so. You know, isn't this Paul undermining the principle of remain in the situation that you're in here? Well, it's not, because this is, this is actually Paul illustrating his point beautifully. There are some situations that are never right to change, Paul is saying. So, reversing circumcision, he's saying, is just never right to change it. It's not even worth thinking about how you go about doing it. But there are some life situations that aren't worth worrying about when you view them through the lens of, of eternity. But they're absolutely worth changing if the opportunity comes up. Slavery was like that. Paul's not saying that slavery is a good thing at all. He's saying it's a horrible situation to be in. But a slave who had no opportunity to to be free of slavery, no opportunity for freedom, didn't need to feel defeated or worthless or undignified. Because that was not at all how God saw them. Now, in a Roman world, in the Roman context, a slave had no status whatsoever. They were property, property of another human being. But look at the status that God gives a slave in verse 22. For the one who was a slave when called to faith in the Lord is the Lord's freed person. Similarly, the one who was free when called is Christ's slave can't get a higher status than belonging to Jesus as his freed person. 
And on the flip side, for the rest of us, you can't get a higher obligation or calling than belonging to Jesus as his slave. And this is Paul's point. Our significance, it comes from how Jesus sees us and not from the situation that we find ourselves in life. In the very next verse, verse 23, Paul says, You were bought at a price. This should make you think of last week. You were bought at a price. You're not your own. And then he says, do not become slaves of human beings. Don't become enslaved by the opinions of how others see you, is what he's saying. Don't even become enslaved by your own opinion of yourself. We can't make ourselves any more significant to Jesus. We can't. We belong to him. So what matters is that we live like we belong to him. What doesn't matter is that we desperately try to change our life situation. Now, it's not that God doesn't care about our life situations and and the hard places that we're at. It's not like that. It's just that he doesn't think that that defines who we are. He sees you if you belong to him. And he sees the amazing eternal destiny that he has planned for you. And he sees that your life situation now, whether it's good or bad, he sees that's just a blip, a tiny blip when compared to the, the eternity that is to come. You're destined for life forever with him, where the sadness and, and the real pain of this world will be like a, a distant, faint thing that we can barely keep to mind, and where the pleasures and the happiness and the, and the The best of this world will seem boring and empty and flat compared to the joys that we'll know forever. You know, this is powerful stuff when you actually stop and think about it. And the question that this chapter is is powerfully putting to us by this principle, if if you're someone who belongs to God, this is the question it puts to you. Will you live for what really matters? Or are you going to live for the things that don't really matter. So that's the principle. We've, we've seen it. Now let's turn to how Paul applies it. And this brings us to our second point. He applies it to marriage and he says, if you're married, stay married unless it's out of your control. So in verse 1, Paul probably quotes word for word here what the Corinthians have written to him. And he says, this is the, quoting them, It's good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. So in other words, they're saying people who are married, well, they should not remain as they are. They should change their life situation by living like those who are not married. That's essentially what they're saying. And so Paul says in verse 2, but since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. At first, this sounds like Paul's actually agreeing that the ideal situation would be a sexless marriage. Don't you reckon when you first kind of read it, it sort of sounds like that? And it sounds like um, he's only saying that it's it's not a good idea to do that because that might lead to sexual immorality. But that's not what's going on here. You don't have to look very far in the Bible at all to see the goodness of sex in marriage. Like in Proverbs 5.18, the writer says, May you rejoice in the wife of your youth, a loving doe, 
a graceful deer. May her breasts satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. Now, the Bible is just so clear on this. God made sex as a good gift to be enjoyed in the context of a permanent relationship between a man and a woman. Marriage. Have you ever noticed that that the very first command that God gives to humanity is to have sex? Genesis 1.28 Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth. That's three different ways that God tells humanity to go and have sex. And the Bible is also very clear. God says sex is not just for having kids, but also for pleasure. Read Song of Songs. Paul knows all this. He fully believes all this. But we've got to keep remembering in this chapter, Paul's not trying to write uh, a comprehensive marriage manual here. He's writing a chapter as to why it's misguided to pursue a sexless marriage as a way of being super spiritual. And the short answer is, it's completely misguided because it can't make you any more spiritual. And all it will do for you is likely make you inclined to disobey God's command to be faithful sexually. But even though this isn't a marriage manual, still we actually learn quite a bit about marriage from these verses. So have a look in verse 3. Paul writes, The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise the wife to her husband. When you get married, sex is just part of the deal. It's part of what you're promising each other. And you, you see this in the marriage vows. To have and to hold. To have includes to have sex with. That's, that's what it means. Being married is, is to have a duty to that other person. And part of that duty is sex. Now, I doubt that in our day and age that we're likely to think that giving up sex would be a good idea for spiritual reasons. That's not really going to be the way we think, I don't think. And I've never come across a Christian talking like that. But sadly, I have come across sexless marriages in churches. And this just shouldn't be the case. It's not what God wants for us. This might be hard for you to hear, but but it's not right. Now, I'm not talking about life circumstances, times in life where sex isn't possible for all sorts of legitimate reasons, like where there's sickness or an ongoing condition or all sorts of things. But marriages where sex is deliberately withheld from each other because of bitterness or indifference... That's not God's intention for marriage. And it's not right, actually. There's a a whole heap more that we could say about this, but we don't have time to cover it all. So let me just say a couple of things, though, that we must say about this before we move on. Now, Paul's not saying that that marriages should be a cold, duty-bound kind of place for sex, out of guilt. That's not at all what he's saying. That would be to miss the point. Later on, Paul says in verse 33, a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. Don't you reckon that's an amazing thing to say? Paul says that marriage means that a man's 
concerns not just on how he can please God, but it's also going to be on how he can please his wife. And he's saying that's actually the way it's got to be. Now, how a man can please his wife means a lot of things here, from how he approaches housework to how he emotionally connects with her, but it also includes how he approaches sex. He aims to please her. And then Paul goes on to say that it goes both ways. He says, a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. Do you see what this means? Marriage is not supposed to be a cold, duty-bound kind of sexual immorality safety zone. It's supposed to be so much more than that. It's supposed to be a place of giving your all to your spouse and a place of receiving all from your spouse. Look at verse 4. It's actually scary just how much we're to give each other in marriage. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. Now, let me just say, in the ancient world, that was not at all doubted. They had no trouble accepting this. They believed that a wife's body belonged to her husband. But look at what Paul says next. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. We struggled to realize just how radical this would have been to their way of thinking. But this is actually the way that God intended things right from the beginning. In a marriage, each person belongs to the other. So there can be no demanding, but only giving. A complete giving of self to the other. Now, sadly, because of sin, we just fail to live like we should. And so it's necessary for me to point out how this verse can be twisted and used manipulatively and abusively. So make sure you don't miss this. Because this is not talking here about self-taking. It's talking about self-giving. Marriage should never be about selfish-taking. And it must never be about demanding. Some people approach this verse thinking that they can use it to put pressure on their spouse to have sex with them or to have sex in ways that they're not comfortable with. And it's totally twisting and misusing this verse. This isn't about controlling another person. This is about giving to another person. And it's about yielding to each other. So it doesn't mean that if when one party asks for sex, that the answer has to be yes all the time. This is not so much about each sexual encounter as it is a general approach to marriage. Our default shouldn't be to say no, but our default instead should be to ask what the other person wants. God wants us to approach marriage thinking, how can we serve the other? And when we approach marriage like that, it's a beautiful thing. It's so much more amazing than when we approach it selfishly. They say that married couples either fight about money or sex. Now, I know that this can be a really painful topic for many of us, but the answer is not just to do nothing about it. If we're married, God wants us to have sex, and getting that back on track can take some serious investment. It takes patience and understanding and forgiveness. And let's be honest, if things have gotten off track, it probably is going to take counselling as well, marriage counselling. But if you're not having sex in marriage and, and you're not interested in working through that, then you're actually doing the wrong thing by your partner 
and by God. Do something about it. Get marriage counselling. Talk to a Christian brother or sister about it. Figure out where things have gone wrong. It might be a long process, but it's important. So we've seen that if we're married, Paul says we're not free actually to change our life situation and to live like someone who's not married. We've made promises and obeying God, keeping God's commands, actually means standing by those promises. Now this has implications for divorce too. If you belong to Jesus, you can't just choose to to stop being married because that would be choosing to go against the command of Jesus. And, And this is what we see Paul appeal to in verse 10. Have a look at it with me. To the married, I give this command, not I, but the Lord. Now, all the Bible, all of the Bible is God's word. But what Paul's saying is that these are the direct words that Jesus spoke while he was on earth. Matthew 19 and other places. So he says, to the married, I give this command, not I, but the Lord. A wife must not separate from her husband. But if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And a husband must not divorce his wife. In our world today, divorce is very much a real option for improving your life situation. If you're not happy in your marriage, then you leave it. But for us, if we belong to God, we're not to think like that. We're to think the opposite. We're to think, how can we possibly make this work? Divorce is never to be chosen by Christians as as an option for for changing your life situation. It goes against what Jesus commands and he knows what's best for us. But the reality is sometimes it's beyond our control and we just can't make it work. The clear example of this for them is for those who became a Christian but their husband or wife didn't. And Paul makes it clear that for, for them even, they shouldn't be trying to change their life situation if that happens. They should stay married to the person who's not a Christian. But if that person doesn't want to stay married to them, what can they do? The answer is nothing. It's it's out of their control. And so in that case, as we heard read, they're not bound. But when it's at all in our control, we're not to end a marriage. That's what this part's saying. But having said that, Did you notice that even as Paul says that a wife should not separate from her husband, he's not being an idealist here? I've had people quote this verse at me and say, you know, a wife must not separate from her husband. Like that's an absolute rule that must be applied no matter what the context, no matter what the cost. And I've asked them just to read the very next part of the the verse. But if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. Paul sees that there are times where it's going to be necessary for a woman to leave. He doesn't specify under what circumstances and and we can't know for sure what he's got in mind. The hope is, is still reconciliation. But there are situations where it's necessary to leave and where reconciliation is going to be almost impossible. Domestic abuse comes to mind. Domestic abuse of all sorts, not just physical, emotional, all kinds. 
And if we as a church were to care more about making things look neat and tidy than we do about the people caught in those kind of situations, oh gosh, we would do an evil to those kind of people. Remember, this is not Paul saying everything there is to say about marriage and divorce here. Paul allows room for a wife to separate and to remain separated, and so must we. And we do. If you're being abused in your marriage, that's not okay. And we will support you to get out of that situation. Now again, there needs to be more said, but unfortunately, we need to keep going We need to keep moving on. But please, come talk to me or Scott, because I'm going on holidays tomorrow, but talk to Scott Westwood about that, if that's you. Paul's big point here is, if you're married right now, that's not a situation you should be looking to change, although sometimes it's out of your control. But if you're single right now, That is a situation you can change without disobeying God's commands. And so at this point, Paul applies the principle to people who are single and also to those who are engaged. And he says, if you're single, stay single unless you're not gifted with coping with singleness. So have a look at verse 7 where Paul says, I wish that all of you were as I am. He's not married. But each of you has your own gift from God. And then we see what this means in, the, in verse 8. Now, to the unmarried and widows, I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it's better to marry than to burn with passion. Do you see what this means? Paul actually almost agrees with the Corinthians that it's good not to have sexual relations. But he's got completely different reasons for them for thinking this way. And unlike them, he's not trying to push his life choices and situation on anyone else. If you're single, Paul's saying it's good for you to consider staying single. Not as a kind of command. This is just advice. And he tells us why he's giving us this advice down in verse 28. So he says, if you do marry, you've not sinned. If a virgin marries, she's not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life. And I want to spare you this. Singleness has got its own very real set of troubles. But marriage, it's got a different set of troubles. It's just now your set of troubles has got a name, like Stephen, for example. But whether you're married or single, it doesn't make you better or worse in the eyes of God. It just doesn't change how God sees you. But being married does present you with troubles that it would be best to avoid if you can. It's a bit late for very, a lot of you, but not too late for some of you. Now, Paul's not saying here, okay, first comes the engagement ring, then comes the wedding ring, then comes the suffering. It's not a, kind of, <laughs> it's not a dry, kind of cynical comment on marriage. What he's saying is that the kind of troubles that you get with marriage, they conflict with our destiny in a way that the troubles you get with singleness don't. The kind of troubles you get with marriage, they conflict with our destiny, not in the same way, in a a way that the troubles with singleness just don't. So let's have a look at verse 29 where Paul talks about this. He says, 
What I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. Life now is very short compared to eternity. Look what he goes on to say. Because of that, from now on, those who have wives should live as if they do not. Those who mourn, as if they did not. Those who are happy, as if they were not. Those who buy something, as if it were not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of the world, as if not engrossed in them, for this world in its present form is passing away. On the surface, this seems to conflict with everything that Paul's just said. He said, you can serve God if you're married, right? And he's just said, if you're married, you must live as someone who's married. But then now he's saying, live as if you don't have a wife. How does that work? What he's saying is that this world in its present form is passing away. It's dying. So what we now experience in this world, it's not our destiny. Our destiny is not to be happily married with one and a half kids, you know, an SUV and an annual overseas holiday. That's, that's not our destiny. Our destiny is eternity in a world restored where you'll be face to face with Jesus who bought your life with his life. So we shouldn't be so engrossed in the things of this world so as to treat our eternal calling and destiny is insignificant. If we're married, we're to live as those who are married, but we're not to live as those who think that marriage is what life is all about. But here's the problem. Marriage life, if we're not careful, is all-consuming. It can feel completely engrossing. We've already seen that we're not to shun our, our marriage duties, But at the same time, our greatest and most important calling is that we belong to Jesus. Look at verse 32. Paul says, I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife. And his interests are divided. And Paul says it's the same for a wife. And And so if you're single, Paul's advice to you is stay single. Not for selfish reasons, you know, so you can batch it up and live the kind of bachelor uh, life. Neither for spiritual reasons, right? That's not his point at all. But simply so that you can focus on what actually matters for all eternity, serving God with undivided devotion. Think about married life. You get married and suddenly all of your spare time that you had has to be reassessed because it's right to spend a lot of it with your your husband or your wife so that you can please them. And so you should, but that means that you've got less time thinking through how you can be devoted to God and please Him. Then you have kids and it's great, but it's also pretty engrossing. It's engrossing. It's also just plain gross. There's nappies to change, trying to shovel food into mouths that don't want it ever for some reason baths, sleepless nights, you still have to fit work in there except now it's more important because you need the money to support your family and on top of this mess of course you're trying to stay connected emotionally and sexually with your partner and it doesn't get any easier as the kids get older, it's still all engrossing, now you're having to act as judge and triage nurse and psychologist and mass tutor and dietitian, 
all while still trying to stay connected to your spouse. And where does God fit into all of this? Well, hopefully you're serving God through the midst of it all. But the reality is it's a tension, right? If you're not feeling it as a tension, something is wrong. It's a tension. What matters is what's to come. We're called to have undivided devotion to God. That's why we called this series Undivided. But the reality is we need to give devotion to these things and we struggle to get the balance right. Someone who is single doesn't have that same set of troubles. They have a different set of real troubles and sadnesses, but not one that conflicts with our eternal destiny in the same way, not one that, with, that conflicts with what really matters in the same way. Now, married people especially need to resist the temptation to be engrossed in the things of this world as if that were what matters for all eternity, as if that were what life were all about. You know, only one of our youth group leaders is married and he's actually paid to do that job. The rest, they give up their time in an amazing way. In their devotion to God, they are devoted to your kids in a beautiful way. Why? Well, it's because they know time is short. They know that what matters is that they're not out there having a good time serving themselves, but that your kids hear about Jesus. Could you serve at Fix if you're married? Well, you could actually, but it would be a bigger strain and tension to fit it all in. Paul is saying that there are all sorts of practical advantages to being single. And so if you are single right now, it's absolutely something that you should consider. Staying that way. But there's actually something that's more important than the practical advantages of being single. And that's obeying God's commands. In verse 7, Paul said, I wish you were all as I am, but each of you has your own gift from God. Not everyone's like Paul. Not everyone's wired like him. And, and, and we see what this means in verse 9, because he says to the unmarried, if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it's better to marry than to burn with passion. Singleness isn't for everyone, because some of us are just not gifted with the ability to effectively control our sexual desires. That's what he's saying. And more important than being single is obeying God's commands, including being sexually pure. So Paul says, if you're not able to do that, then don't be single, get married. If you're going out with someone and you're struggling to control your sexual desires, then get married. Often we're sort of more interested in the fairy tale than in pleasing God. We've got to have the perfect wedding lined up, so we'll disobey God in this. But listen carefully, marriage will never ever be the fairy tale that you want it to be. And when you approach it like that, you end up turning it into a nightmare. If you're not acting appropriately towards each other, if, if you're not married, stop what you're doing or break up or get married. They're your options. What matters is that we belong to God. And because we belong to Him, what matters is, is that we keep His commands. Now, from a different angle, though, we see actually something quite different in churches these days. There's a good chance if you're single, 
that actually you don't feel gifted for it, but there's actually not been any opportunity for marriage that's come your way. And there are many of us who want to be married, but, but it's just never been an option. Personally, I, I haven't been through that, but I know from close friends that it's, it's incredibly painful, incredibly hard. And if that's you, you need to keep reminding yourself to keep seeing yourself the way God sees you. He sees you as incredibly significant already. And you need to keep seeing things the way God sees things, which means seeing what's to come. What really matters isn't marriage now. These things are passing away. We all need to to watch our hearts that we don't give temporary things more significance than they deserve. And we who are married, we need to make sure that we don't give the impression that marriage is heaven on earth. That's a lie to start with. And if we were treating it like that, it'd be idolatry. If you're single, don't put your hope in changing life circumstances. If you make getting married your highest good, then you'll turn it into an idol too. And the thing with idols is that they always come back to bite you. They let you down. They hurt you. In verse 39, Paul says to people who are free to choose who they marry, that when they're free, they must choose to marry a Christian. But I've seen over and over and over again that people, when they make marriage their highest good, they disobey God's command in this and they marry someone who's not a Christian. Now, we've seen today in marriage, it's hard enough to keep your devotion on God even if your your husband or wife is a Christian. And it's so difficult when you're married to someone who doesn't share that or believe that. If you don't belong to God... Can I just finish by saying that what matters for you is where you're at with Jesus. The things of this world, they really are passing away. And for all the delights of of life and, and marriage and kids, they are gifts from God. They are simply gifts. Where are you at with the giver? Because the gifts, they won't last forever. You'll face God one day, and if you've given your life to his gifts, not to to the giver, then God is personally offended by that. And he'll ask you, why? Why? And what will you say to him? You need to receive his greatest gift, his son, who gave his life to claim you for himself because the reality is the gifts of this world and the pains of this world they're going to pale into insignificance in the light of what it is that we can have in Jesus no matter how great or hard your life circumstances are right now you need Jesus where are you at with him my advice to you today would be don't leave here today without belonging to him If you need help to know what that means, come and speak to me afterwards. Let me pray for us with such a difficult passage. Father, your word is liberating. Knowing that we belong to Jesus, knowing that we don't have to make ourselves significant in your eyes because we already are because of Jesus, 
That is liberating. But Lord, we struggle so much. Our minds are so earthbound. We struggle so much to see your plans, your eternal destiny for this world, for us. Lord, please lift our vision to Jesus. Help us to see what he's done for us at the cross and the difference that it makes. And so, Lord, help us not to put our hope in our life situation now, whether that's in improving it or maintaining it. Lord, secure our hope in Jesus alone. Help us to see just how amazing this is. If we're married, Lord, help us to throw ourselves into our marriages as those who belong to you. If we're single, Lord, help us to care about what you want for us in sexual purity. But Lord, also to consider possibly being single in order to be better able to serve you all our days. Whatever the case, Lord, secure our hearts for you where they belong. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.